Welcome. Welcome to Reimagine Teaching, a podcast for teachers by teachers about um, dreaming and imagining a better future for students and educators alike. Um, I'm super excited about this episode to be meeting with Mrs. Leanne Peden. Um, so thank you for coming. Um, I am still like working through the people that I know who are educators and getting to have conversations with them. And so I, you have known my family for how long? Gosh, <laughs> forever. Forever. Um, your kids and my mom were friends, so before me. Um, and then when I was in high school, you worked at my high school. Um, and so I'm actually, this will be an interesting conversation because um, when we talk about building a brain and metacognition and executive functioning, that was because you were friends with my mom, something you had to help me with during high school. I don't know if you remember this or not. Yeah. <laughs> There's a number of people that floated through it in and out of my room. Yeah. So there was, yeah, I was getting, you know, C's and my mom was like, you have to check in with Miss Peden every day, twice a day. You would sign my assignment notebook to say I did my homework. I wrote down my homework um, for like two or three weeks. And then my mom's like, and if you don't keep it up after that, you're going to go back to Miss Peden. <laughs> um, so, but that was... And we'll talk, as we talk about it today, you know, something that students need is some, that accountability and it's not built into the education, education system very often. Um, and so that was a real huge benefit for my family that we knew you and could get that accountability. Um, we'll start the episode, though, with um, always positivity. What's bringing you joy this week? Um, I'll start. I have um, Charlie, my baby. Um, we are just starting to do like reading before bed. Um, I'll lay down with her and read her a couple, you know, little baby books, but she's starting to babble and like blow raspberries. So last night when we were reading, um, I would read a page and then as I was flipping it, she would talk back to me and blow raspberries. And then we were, my husband and I were giggling cause it was like, she was, you know, con conversing with us about the book we were reading about belly buttons. Um, so that's been really fun to to watch her language start to develop and then, you know, talk back to her and be like, yeah, that's right. Reading <laughs> is so important even at an early, 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 early age. Yeah. And I was telling my mom, you know, she doesn't totally understand what we're talking about. So I know my husband can hear me through the baby monitor. So I was reading pages to Charlie and then adding commentary just to make him laugh. So I could hear him laughing from the other room. And he was like, I'm going to come in there and make you stop reading to her. I'm like... <laughs> being really sassy about, you know, well, this page is more about, oh, and he was like, Brittany, just read the book. Like, oh, that interaction is so important. She's, she's grabbing, she's like a sponge. She's right. just soaking it all in and, and developing a love for reading. Yeah. Which is like, you can never develop too soon. You know, so it's really cool. And she, and even though she was babbling or blowing bubbles, she was, she was responding. Yeah, yeah. You know, in her own way. You can tell by her facial expression. Right, she gets very know. serious about it. It was very funny. And she didn't fall asleep, right? So no. And she was really, she was like, the pictures, the pictures. You're seeing the pictures, yeah. you know, and all that mental. And just, I think, too, like, naturally you have a different tone when you're reading, you know, silly belly button books. And so I think even that's interesting for her to hear me talking in a different way than I usually do. Um and she's like, oh, what's this about? So it's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. So what's something that's bringing you joy lately? Well, I have, I refer to as, I have a happy dance. 
my happy dance now is uh, I've been an educator for over 30 years and um, I always had a heart for kids who learn differently and so um, from my journey of being an educator I just kept following the pathway of differentiated instruction and I just dove into it and grabbed as much as I could. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a, um, to be trusted with this new kind of experiment or wedding and differentiated instruction because we're so, so used to direct education, you know, just information, spill it out, spill it out, pour it, you know, and just fill in these kids' heads, but, but nothing is sticking. Mm-hmm. And so in my classroom, we had differentiated instruction, which is where I had, oh, I had the students and I taught where they were at. Mm-hmm. You know, I would I would have a curriculum and um, kind of test them at where they were at as a whole in a classroom. And then from that point, we began the unit. Mm-hmm. So, and just really allowing them to not just sit there bored, but to, to engage mm-hmm. and to love learning. First, you got to change their idea about learning. Yeah. Now I'm getting, not the little ones, you know, the little ones always are so hungry. These are sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Yeah. You know, by this time, they are just, okay, I've been through this, you know, I'm going to regurgitate this test. And, and that's another thing. I just wanted them to hold on to the, the valuable information mm-hmm. instead of, it's there for the test and then slips right out. So my journey was I wanted to make sure the kids love learning, mm-hmm. just passionate for learning. And, and now that I'm out of the classroom, I've um, spent the last six years learning about um, growth mindset mm-hmm. and just really studying the brain and how the brain is not... You know, they give the kids these IQ tests and they think that, well, this is all the farther kid. No, the brains can always change. It's yeah. never, never solid at one point. Yeah. You know, and when you approach the kids and teach them where they're at and mediation is a big thing. Not, not me telling them or instructors telling them about everything, but creating that conversation. You know, the who, what, when, where, and why. So as my instructor, where I went for all my training, you know, it's called building a brain. And Mm -hmm. it's really cool. It's really cool. I'm teaching a summer school class to little kids this this summer about building a brain and and learning how to stop and think before they respond. Yeah. So um, my mom, you, my mom came and told me that you had been telling her about your job. And this is something that, because I did my master's degree in trauma-informed instruction, and so we talk a lot about um, how trauma impacts your brain, and then how do we, you know, get back to being, you know, when I taught elementary school, we we talked about our brains being online and offline. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're triggered or stressed, your brain goes offline to protect yourself. So how do we get it back online? Um, And even with my high schoolers, you know, telling them, talking about, their emotions and stuff and saying, but there are things you can do to change your reactions or change your responses. And a lot of our students don't even know that that's possible, especially for stuff. You know, if I have students with anger issues because their parents had anger issues and their parents had anger issues, 
they're like, no, this is how you respond to things. Like, they don't realize that there is, one, there's, you know, a different way. And two, you can consciously change your attitude or the way that you think. And then when we talk about academics, that's a whole, I mean, a lot of my students, I teach ESL. So my students, a lot of them are the first students to be fluent in their family to be fluent in English. And so, you know, to say like, you're learning English and you can do it, but it's defeating to try to do something all day at school that you can't practice at home because their parents don't speak English and they don't read or write. Um, and so that becomes really defeating by the time I see them in high school our students are very either, yes, I'm good at school and I enjoy school, or I do not want to be here. I'm just here so I don't get a ticket at court. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but fighting, you know, the last nine, ten years of well, how they've, you know, gone through the school system is so hard, but so important to hopefully by the time they are out of our program, we can be like, see, you were able to grow and learn. Like you said, maybe you didn't memorize everything you needed to for the test but that there are things that you can still learn um, is so crucial for students. We have, before I start class with my students, we have a, a little uh, jingle or a little saying that they know. And I, it, it says, um, gosh, it says, I know my brain can grow. And it says, my thinking can improve and challenges are good for me. And that was, I created a great conversation well, challenges I don't you know it's like hard work and all that but I said you're either going to have when you start getting a new a new subject or something that you learn you grow up our brain is made up of a huge amount of neurons or dendrites and and what you're doing is you're making pathways and this is it starts out you can correct, collect, um, connect the left with the right, wherever you're, you know, the thinking is going on. And that neuron is such a, it's almost like a thin piece of thread. And the more you practice and the more you practice, it gets thicker. So because we have our brain is three pounds of muscle, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you think about going to the gym, if you don't exercise that muscle, you get weak. And it gets flimsy and you can't do it anymore. But if you keep that practice, you stay fit and the whole business. And so, you know, that exercise is so important. And I tell my tell my kids, you know, you can't. First, they have to start believing that they can. So they'll, I'll start working. I'll integrate um, some um, academics with mm -hmm. this. And then we talk through the mediation and they'll come to a hard part now and they'll say, well, I can't. And I, and then, and the students in my class cannot say I can't, they have to say I can't yet. Mm -hmm. So right there, before I even begin to see progress with the students, I have to get to the root before I can get to the fruit. I have to get them to start believing in themselves and not fake kind of believing, but truly believing in themselves that mm -hmm. they can achieve. So it, it's really interesting watching them go through that journey, yeah. you know, and it's not a quick fix and it's not another program. This is, you are actually taking all kinds of individuals and their learning because this is not just for students. This is for chemo. I, mm -hmm. I have a Parkinson's patient that I'm working with to mm -hmm. keep his brain strong. I have worked with um, individuals with dementia it's just all a matter. You want to keep those neurons strong mm -hmm. to give quality of life. I yeah. have an autistic student that is really just flourishing, mm -hmm. you know. So it's not just 
this is all they can do because I have learned they can do more. Yeah. So you were telling me a little before um, we started recording the like really brief, but I think it's interesting and crucial to understand the program about how this program even started. I got information. First of all, I had um, went for a program in learning how to bring kids and help them learn better with their executive functioning. And then through this program, they offered another one called, um, they call it C, I think it's, C, it's Cognitive Structure Modifiability. And what that is, is it's a program that has been developed, a very effective program that's been doc, developed by Dr. Ruben Feuerstein, um, a Jewish man who studied under Paget and alongside Vygotsky. And how this all came about was, is after the Holocaust, there was a lot of trauma. And the, and the kids, you know, they're just, I mean, all of a sudden the, the war's over and they've been in the concentration camp. So Dr. Paget took a number of them back to France with him, adults and children. And they did test ad to find out how much this trauma had really stunted their learning. Mm -hmm. And their scores were very, very low, but Dr. Feuerstein, Dr. Feuerstein was there with her. And they had limited, they had limited, um, Dr. Paget and the group had limited them that they, because of such trauma, they were never going to be able to mm -hmm. function and get back to where these doing. And we're talking all kinds of students, bright students, we're talking, you know, think about going in to these concentration camps and being their whole life being torn apart. Well, Dr. Feuerstein took them back to Israel with him and began studying and working with them and, and, and um, through a series of instruments and mediated learning is a big thing, is he was able to give them back the quality of life. Mm -hmm. And he continued, his work continued through working with individuals with Down syndrome, um, those with they have ADHD, ADD, ADHD. It just, it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's just a huge um, area that can be addressed instead of telling the kids, and this is what I found, I will not, I will use their testing to know, and I'll tell the parents, I'm using your testing as a bottom line to know where their, where their strengths and weaknesses are. And, um, to be a good instructor, Dr. Feuerstein said, you know, if you don't understand a student's, well, how did he say it? He says, if you didn't understand a student's weaknesses, don't teach to their strengths. You mm -hmm. have to teach to their weaknesses because their strengths are already there. You're just going to keep that muscle going. It's their weaknesses that they need to be in order to be cognitively strong in everything, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's learning how to deal with relationships, learning how to deal with emotions, learning how to deal with the if-then, hypothetical thinking, um, learning how to organize. Mm -hmm. So this stuff all, it, it, it just, it's all encapsulated together, but it's so cool because Dr. Feuerstein has 28 cognitive functions that he works at, that I work from and have been developed as an input and it's called the elaborate. It's called the input, the elaboration, and the um, output stages. Mm -hmm. And when we and all three stages integrate together, and, right. it's, and it's so cool because just watching the kids thinking, "Oh, I can do this, and I can do this," and we'll talk about something relative. We may be having a 
I may be working on math with a student. I'll say, well, what did you have today? What did you see? What cognitive functions? And they'll have to name it from each group. And then they'll make, it says, because I have to have focus and attention and be aware of where I am in space and um, collect or be aware of my, my data, you know, mm -hmm. do a more sense of that. I can then define the problem, which is I'm having trouble doing math. So there I'm doing comparing and contrasting. And so that, and then he goes to the end. And the one thing that they have, they do is that so I can stop and think before yeah. I give a response and said this incident. A lot of it's just a lot of waiting mm -hmm. and taking the time for them to process yeah. what they're saying. And when they do it, then they bridge it to the activity of, of their cognitive functions that they use. They will bridge it to an activity that I will give them. They will choose what they're going to apply it to. So they'll go home and they'll tell me how they're going to, you know, what they're going to choose to apply it to. Mm -hmm. And then I give them the cognitive function sheet and they circle it and then they come back to class. The next time I meet with them and we discuss that, you know, how were the successes? Where do you need help with? So it's, it's all about mediation and talking with the kids and giving them hope, mm -hmm. you know, real hope. They, they yeah. can see themselves growing. And the typical student in the program sometimes is with me for about six months. Okay. And then they leave. And they apply everything they know, yeah. they're solid. And then when they need to have to come back, they come back for that quick brush up and then we send them on their way again. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool. It's it's really, I'm just amazed at, at how this whole thing just yeah. really comes together. And I started learning about, really, I started really looking at metacognition and executive functioning skills. Uh, my first couple of years teaching, I taught in Iowa and there's a huge population from the Congo um, and surrounding areas that were in our schools. And some of our high school kids, the older juniors and seniors, um, we had a student who had been a child soldier. We had a student who um, had lost her family and her village, like they fled um, as the village was being burned. And then the kids who were a couple years younger had grown up in refugee camps mm -hmm. and had moved a bunch so we have all these students, and they're learning English. Um, so we had all these students at our high school um, that weren't doing homework and, you know, were acting out during class. And it's like, well, you know, one, is the content comprehensible? Is it accessible? Is it something they can do? Two, we had a, part of my job is I have to have a lot of conversations with teachers. And I like how you put input, elaboration, output. I have to have conversations with teachers to say, I need you to really think about all the different tasks you're asking students to do in this simple project. When they come in, you have a writing prompt on the board. So you're asking students to read and comprehend the prompt, understand that if they see a writing prompt, that means they need to get a notebook and a pencil and then find somewhere quietly and that you're asking them to sit down immediately and work. But if it's just a question on the board and you haven't taught the students this is what you do when you see a question on the board, you grab a notebook. Even silly things like we have to teach students which way the page goes. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> holes on the left, the big part on the top. But teachers would be like, you know, they wrote all over the place and not on the lines and I can't. That's another expectation that they don't know. You didn't explain to them. You know, and then when they're done with their writing, they're supposed to close their notebook and put it in this spot so that you can grade it. 
you may have to remind them a couple of times that that's the expectation, especially for students when we get to high school. If they haven't been in a school setting, they're not going to know that the basket on the teacher's desk is for finished work. That might be true kindergarten through eighth grade in American schools, but this is their first time in an American school. We assume too much. Yeah. And so I, what I like about the program and I looked through some of those skills is that it takes those assumptions away and says, let's talk about, are you able to do things? So one of the ones I saw was, you know, like you said, making connections, you know, are you able to compare and contrast things for some students? That's a very difficult skill. So when I was working with third and fourth graders and they're supposed to, you know, make a connection from the book to their own life and that's supposed to be easy. And they, they're like, I don't know, the main character's a girl and I'm a boy. So there's nothing, they, they can't do it. And then for me as a teacher to say, you know, having to ask for, like, I need resources because my students don't know how to make connections. And I would just get handed more texts for them to read. And I was like, well, that's that's not helping because it's the cognitive part that they're struggling with. How do I teach them to, you know, and I had to develop a lot of stuff on my own to teach some of these skills because it's not a part of our school system to teach these. We think it's implied and they're going to learn it, you know. A lot of things that we have from, from my growing up, we learned a lot of things, you know, the on hands, the touching, you know, the 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 really um, tactile things, mm-hmm. which is very important for learning because it sets that that imprint mm-hmm. in their brain. And we've lost that. We've yeah. lost that. And electronics are, are not helping it at all. I see when the students come to work with me, my, one of my first questions is, is how much are you on under electronics? Because what's happening is, is that because they're on so much electronics, they're they're frying their brain. I look at it as the root system. They're, mm-hmm. they're singeing that. And yes, it can regrow. And, but if you don't eliminate or moderate, mm-hmm. you know, what the time that you're spending on it, I have seen, you know, the parents, they'll tell me, and they said, well, if we're going to work together, I said, this has to be cut in half. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't, but we're going to learn how we're going to control it instead of it controlling us. And some parents work with it and some parents don't work with it. And he says, it's just like taking, you got a cold and the doctor gives you penicillin to take. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take that penicillin to get better, it's the case, same kind of thing. You're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff is there to make yeah. you better. But if you're not going to choose to work with it yeah. and work with the doctor, there's, your body may heal itself, but not as effective and as yeah. quickly as if you follow the prescription. Yeah. You know, so when the students do that, um, they see. It's like all of a sudden it's a big fog comes off of their yeah. eyes, you know, and it's so important because the, the <laughs> electronics are great, but it's really dulling their senses as mm-hmm. far as being able to deal emotionally with people, relationships. Um, I'm dealing with, I'm working with some students that just will walk into the classroom and sometimes you get kids that are like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. You just walked into a classroom making all kinds of noise and I'm <laughs> teaching, disrupting the total classroom. You know, that's just a broad scenario. 
so I have to, I'm working with students to teach them to read the room. Mm-hmm. You know, stop. Oh my goodness. And think. So I and read the room. I, all of my, most of my work in my classroom is on paper. I do very, very little um, on computers, especially stuff like reading a text. A lot of our teachers have students reading and highlighting through Google Drive, like Google Docs. My students can't handle it. If they're not comprehending it, because like you said, it's not tactile enough. So I have, I mean, they get pencils and highlighters and colored, you know, um, sticky notes and it's a whole ordeal, but they like actually are doing it and feel like they know what's going on. And, um, but as far as the personal devices, as far as cell phones, um, our, our admin is not really like strict about it. So it's hard for like, I can be strict about it. And then I, what I kick the kid out of class. They're just going to miss the whole class. And I don't want them, I'd rather them be here and half listening than not here. So I, at a point I was like not fighting with cell phones. I'd ask them to put it away a couple times. But if I don't have support from admin, then what am I going to do? But the day that I announced to my students I was pregnant, I put our writing prompt on the board, which was what advice would you give someone who's about to have a baby? And the kids were all like, I don't know. Don't do it. Like being silly because they had no idea. And then the next slide had you know, the ultrasound and a little announcement picture. And then we like moved on with class. The whole period, this is the second hour, one kid is on his phone, headphones in, talking about some musician and how good his music is. And I'm like, okay, thank you for that, but we're going to get back to class. Well, I have him in third hour too in my math class. So we go to third hour and I, they don't do writing prompts in math, but I had a little slide with the announcement and he goes, what? You're having a baby? And I was like, dude, we've already been together for an hour today. And he was like, well, yeah, but I was listening to this music. And I was like, seriously, and I announced it like four times because kids kept coming in late. And I'd be like, OK, make sure that I'll uh, put the picture back up. I was like, four times that picture was on the board. And everybody was talking about it the whole period. And one girl walked in and walked right out of class because she thought we were doing sex ed because she saw the ultrasound. But I'm like, it was like a whole thing. But he was so engrossed on his phone. He literally missed my pregnancy announcement. It was so funny, but like sad to be like, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's not reading the classroom. He's not. They're not stopping and thinking and recognizing appropriate social behavior. Yeah. You know, um, just the fact of just looking in the room. You don't have to approach, but just, hey, what's going on? Right. You know, to see the kids, they're raising your hand or to talking or the yeah. teachers up in front. I mean, just realizing the body language and the facial expressions. And is it quiet? If it's quiet, well, what? why is it quiet? Is right. it a quiz? Is right. it, are they taking notes? And just, just to stop and be aware of what's going on so you can get in that position of learning right. for the kids. And it just, it takes a while to undo, but once the group starts doing it, then everybody, mm-hmm. you know, start. It, it, it's real obvious that the ones that don't do it and then they kind of slip into it because, you know, that's their peers and their peers now are getting the idea. This is benefiting me. Right. If I could just shut my mouth for 42 <laughs> minutes, right. you know, this, I'm going to get something out of this. You yeah. know, it's not going to be a delayed reaction. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I didn't know we're going to have a quiz. Well, First of all, you can read the board, right? you know, and instead of being so self-absorbed into that next that thing, that's, that's what really is frightening is that they're so 
into themselves that they're not realizing what's happening around mm-hmm. them. That's scary. Yeah. So we talk about all of these, the skills, these, you know, metacognition, social skills, executive functioning skills. Um, and with, well, first of all, and I say this to everybody on the podcast who's been in education as long as you have, thank you. Because this is not an easy field to stay in for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing a lot of new teachers are not even making it to five years. So um, thank you for your dedication and, and for being willing to talk about it. But in your experience, why do you think students end up with such huge gaps in these areas? And they're, and they're between subject and subject, you mean, or just the reading room kind of, or just in general? In general, in the executive functioning and like metacognition stuff, why do students end up struggling so much with that? I think it could be, oh man, I've looked at several different schools and I, I find that their culture, their home life, Mm. dictates a lot of what's going on in their brain and they're just they're surviving they're trying to survive at home for what you know ever reason is going on there you know the the breakdown in the family you mm-hmm. know it's not structurally sound anymore um and just kids are left to raise themselves you know so it's like okay kids are raising kids you know and the kids are raising their brothers and sisters they're forced into adulthood so fast. And, and this is just my opinion, but I just see it, you know. I was going, well, what'd you do last night? Well, my mom went out and she had to work, and so I had to take care of my yeah. little brothers and sisters. And I said, so what time, you, did you have any time to do with your homework? Well, no, because I had this responsibility. So right. it's like, okay, mom has to go to survive for the family, yeah. you know, and, and help the family. And so what's good, something's got to give. Yeah. And it's going to be the path of least resistance, which is going to be homework. Right. Because I have four brothers and sisters that yeah. I want to make sure that they're stable yeah. and they're doing what they're supposed to be. And doing. those stress responses of fight, flight, or freeze, um, I see all the time in my classroom, but also the research has shown that when you are in constant stress, so even if you don't have like PTSD from something big, but in constant stress, like you're responsible for your siblings all the time, um, that impacts your brain just as much. And you still end up in fight, flight, or freeze, but like all the time. And when you're in that mode, you cannot, research has shown, you cannot do the higher level thinking. When we talk about you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to feel safe. You have to be fed. You have to, and all of that. But there is a point where like, you know, you have to feel safe. And if you're always worried about everyone else or getting home on time or this or that, you can't get to the point of self-actualization and reflection and bettering yourself as a person because oh, that's the last thing on your mind. You know, at the point when I was in high school and come to see you for a couple weeks, it was... Um, my parents are divorced and my dad had just moved into town. Um, well, you know, and I was, it was roughly, I think when I was starting to drive. So I was responsible for driving my sister and I to my dad's house and back. Um, at my dad's house, I have now my dad is diagnosed with OCD anxiety. My brother is diagnosed with OCD and anxiety and their OCDs are not the same. (laughs) So it's a lot of OCDs and anxieties, um, to manage. And so it was just talking um, this week of, you know, when I was there, I was hyper vigilant to make sure that 
things are the way they are supposed to be. So we didn't trigger the people who are the most, you know, emotionally volatile. And then when I was at my mom's house, I was exhausted from doing all of that, that, you know, I would forget stuff all the time. I was so forgetful and then would get scolded for being forgetful. And then, it okay, so I can't, I can't let up at my dad's house. I can't let up at my mom's house. So homework's not going to get done because I need somewhere where I can stumble a little bit and <laughs> it'd be okay. I mean, life is being taken from you. I mean, there's a reason why you have the the, the stages like Paget and Vygotsky right. talked about. Those are critical. Those have been studied by those famous people for years. Right. And you can't skip a beat in those things. No. You can't. And if you do, like the trauma victims from the Holocaust, that was what well, World War II was from. You know, they could have been in the tra- tra- concentration camp for a long, long time and under poor conditions and not knowing whether or not you were going to survive and and whatever else. So that, that part of their life was taken from them. Mm-hmm. And so they've jumped from where they went in over to now they've been released and now they're supposed to carry on? No, because they don't have that tool. They yeah. miss that part of their life. Yeah. And that is very critical for the next stages in their life. Right. You know, so for you having, you were a student, 16 years old. You're, you know, under norm, whatever norm is, <laughs> but the normal conditions. And even now the kids now, there is, they're missing the point of mm-hmm. that development. And so therefore... Behaviors end up because they're frustrated, in my yeah. opinion. They're frustrated and they don't. And something's like a tea kettle. Something is going to give. Yeah. You know, your drop dropout rate's going to increase yeah. because they don't feel, why, what's the use? I've missed something back here in my first, second, and third grade because my, you know, family conditions or whatever it is. So they've missed those that critical foundation yeah. stuff. For our students, substance abuse is a huge, oh. huge issue. And when you ask students about it, you know, vaguely, not do you use, but hey, why do you think some of your friends and our students are like, we're all depressed. This escape. I'm talking, I have a 14 year old student who was really proud to be sober for four months last year. And I was like, I'm so Mm -hmm. proud of you. Oh my gosh, a 14 year old who had to work at being sober Mm -hmm. already. Because that's, you know, but like you said, he's got six younger siblings and he's does a lot has a lot of responsibility at home and so when something has to give you know he turned to drinking and smoking because that's that's what you could do to numb it yeah you know and then when somebody asks them to think it's like they can't the brain's in a fog yeah and to you know when we talk about an issue at our school the substance abuse issue of kids smoking and vaping at school or before school and then coming to school high um And one of the teachers was like, well, they just need to stop. I had a student who was 17 and he started like casually smoking or at least being around people who were smoking when he was nine. He's been using marijuana for nine years. He can't just stop. You can't just like, that's, you know, and I think he deals on this. Like that's his now become a part of his identity and so for teachers to say, you know, well, he just needs to stop. That's his skills trade now. Right. <laughs> he can't put the academics, so he's going to be and doing. He, he couldn't. I mean, when I pulled his file, because we were looking for something, in 
kindergarten, he refused to do the ESL screener. And it literally said student refused. In kindergarten, he was already labeled as a difficult student. So, of course, by the time he was nine, he was looking for an escape. He didn't even get to his first day of school before people were like, this kid doesn't want to be here. That's so sad. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about, I mean, I agree. I think that all of the things that students go through, and I'd forgotten about that theory of all the different stages you have to go through. But yeah, our students have to skip some. And then it's seen as inappropriate to go backwards. But they have to. You have to. And that's what basically what, when I work with that, and I know we're going we're gonna to go back. It's okay. We're going to go back a little bit and we're going to, whether if it's simple math skills that I'm working with them, you know, because they are coming to me for tutoring. And so right away, I'll, I'll integrate all this stuff, but we'll work on the math or what they've come from or the reading of what they've come from. But then at that point, then I start bringing in all this other stuff, you know, as far as all these other um, tools to help them start learning how to think better and learning how to, oh, I can do this. I just needed to be shown away. You know, my one professor, I'll never forget it going through college, he said, you can take, and I just, I sat there and I went, as a young, and, not, and I was a middle-aged student, but um, he said, when you leave, after all your teaching experience, you've gone through this, you know, educational track. He said, you will have to, he says, I, I encourage you strongly that you only use your scope and sequence as a guide, mm-hmm. but that you, you get to know your students, you know your audience. And I thought that really made a lot of sense to me because most teachers, when they go in, they're gonna they're gonna teach their hemispheric dominance. That's where their comfortable mm-hmm. space is. Okay, so most of the teachers are average to above average, and you know, brainiacs and and whatever are really in their field. But to reach those kids that you have what I call deer in headlights, like I have <laughs> no clue what you're talking about. That to me is the challenge, and that is where. I focus because mm-hmm. I can throw it out to the class, but I'm really focusing on those kids because yeah. this has been a rotation. This is constantly being the same thing from grade to grade to grade, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, man, we got to catch them. We got to catch them fast, you know, and those that are willing, that'll work with you and those that are, but even if you have a class of 26 kids and five of them, okay, five of them, are given the opportunity to go and and know that there is a different pathway that they can. Mm-hmm. And you still continue to reach the other ones. You never get up. And, and positive wordage to the kids. You know, you, mm-hmm. I grew up in a thing where it says, <laughs> you're always going to be this, and this is what you can do, and college will never be. And, and that negative talk put me in a box yep. to the point that I knew I wanted to do this but could I mm-hmm. you know and if it wasn't for for my husband who said you can do it yeah you know I couldn't handle the 17 credits at college you know because it was just too much yeah it was you know and so this is what really and so I when that was when online learning 
and I took one class at a time, focused on that one class, and I did well all the way through. It took me longer, and that's what I tell my students. I says, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do it in four years. Just do it successfully. Yeah. And focus on what you're going to do, and don't waste your time. When it gets difficult, just say, ah, I'm growing my neurons. Yeah. This is difficult. I'm growing. I have a challenge now. I'm going to grow my neurons yeah. because my brain's going to get changed. And I'm going to become the stronger of this. Yeah. I had pulled up because when we talked about the state, the stages of development, and I want to talk about, I teach algebra one, like how I see these, if students miss the stage developmentally, how it plays out in algebra one, and then you can chime in. So the first stage, like where my baby is, that you are, you know, seeing things tactilely, and then you're starting to categorize things, you know, these are colors, these are animals. So when I have, even in algebra one, and I have to say, okay, circle all of the X's, in the problem and my students are like what like we're just we're literally just we're categorizing circle all the x's and then write them out next to each other but if they've missed that for some reason that is a step i literally have to go through with my students vocabulary is so important and the vocabulary oh vocabulary and my poor students i do not i'm not fluent in spanish so there's often vocabulary issues when i try to translate things Mm-hmm. what was one of them it was we're talking about like triangles angles and when i translated it it translated it to airplane for some reason so i kept asking them how many airplanes were in the picture and they were like what yeah. <laughs> um so that's different but then the, yeah the vocabulary too the other thing i see in audra one a lot and i have to bring it up to the teachers every year especially on finals it drives me crazy word problems You cannot ask a question in a word problem about something obscure that our kids don't see every day. That's right. You know. They don't understand it, and the interpretation is so different, you know. There was a question on the final this year about buying walking tacos. And so my my student came and asked me in Spanish, his question was, what is a taco that's walking? Mm -hmm. Because when you translate to Spanish, that's what it said, was the taco that's walking. And he was like, how can tacos walk? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So I like find someone to interpret. Like, we're just, it's just a taco. I don't know why we had to say walking taco. It's just a taco. It's on the run. Yeah. It's not yeah. running. It's no, not, it's, you're just, you're moving with it. You know, we're just buying tacos. Yeah. Um, the next stage then is the symbolic thinking, um, conversation skills, imagination. Um, at a high school level, I mean, Algebra uses, um, you know, symbols all the time. We have to substitute variables. And a lot of my students struggle with that, Mm -hmm. that a variable can take a place of a number. But even the social skills, the imagination part of it, because I also teach English and reading. Mm -hmm. Reading is so boring if you can't imagine or picture what's happening. And so, of course, our students hate reading. If they've missed this phase and they, you know, didn't have a chance to practice, of course they hate it. And when I have students like, I'm gonna read to you and can you just draw what you're hearing? And they're like, what? Well, all the language. but how tall yeah. are they? I don't know, you just have to just make it up. And yeah. I, some of my students hate that. <laughs> I'm working with a student now and just all summer, just going through a series of inferences. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a series of of books that would go we go from easy and it's getting more difficult. What are they inferring? You know, so now I will always when when I'm with that student, oh 
oh, what are you inferring here? What are you trying to tell me? And to know that an inference is something that I think this is what they're talking about from the context that's around it. And so therefore I can make a, a somewhat of a good interpretation of what's going on. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. They don't have that language. Yeah. That language in everything, yeah. you know. Word walls. I used a lot of word walls. I had a teacher one time came to me and she said, my kids do really well in doing the math concepts through, you know, the weekly stuff. But when they come to the tests, they bomb them. And I said, let me see the tests. The tests were on two different language platforms. Not that you take exactly the same thing mm -hmm. and just so they can pick out that because you want that vocabulary to grow. But I said, Take your test and compare what new words right. are going to be introduced on the test and then make a word wall tree right. and talk about the unit so that when they see these words on the test, it won't be like, oh, I get it. Yep. This means the same thing as this. Yeah. You know? so My students have to ask in algebra too, when it says solve, am I finding an answer or am I just making it? Small, like simplifying is what they're trying mm -hmm. to get to. What does solve mean? I'm like, you're finding an answer. X equals. Okay. Simplify means it's just going to be less parts, but you're not going to have one number. Okay. And then I have to remind them because in algebra two, things get weird and you have radicals. And I'm like, solve means you're actually going to have two answers. I'll just tell you, there's going to be two numbers. <laughs> yeah. But solve means you're going to take the whole thing down and have two numbers. But yeah, if they don't know solve versus simplify... Because in their practice, solving was one day and simplifying was another, and they didn't catch the difference in language. Mm -hmm. When it's on the same test, they were totally lost. We did a um, one thing in my classroom that was pretty, pretty cool is that, I think it was, is that the lesson that the student learned the previous day and leading up to it, there was like a basket and we put strips of paper in there. And... It was all review. So mm -hmm. you did a DOA, a DOA, a daily oral review is what it was. And so they had to pick out a piece of paper mm. and they had to prove to us that they understood what was on that paper, you know, and the languages in there and everything. And so then they would hand it in and it wouldn't necessarily be graded, but you only know, I tell my students, if you fail or you make mistakes, I think it's great. It's not about the grade. The grade is, yeah. it's the process to the product. So if you're always doing well, then I don't think you need any help. So I look for the mistakes. Right. I, I want the mistakes yeah. because then I know what I have to do for you. And now I have to mediate you. So it's not about the hundred. It's not about, you get those kids up there that are brainiacs. And I'm going, mess, you know, take the grade out of your head because you have... It's process, and the product will be the great. Your mm -hmm. outcome will be the effort of your practice throughout yeah. this whole journey of this unit. So, and getting the kids out of that—they're so worried about their GPA. And, I mean, yeah, put it on the put it on the back burner. And teachers too, because yeah. I so halfway through the school year, so I started the school year. We had new curriculum, and I started the school year. First of all, new curriculum, and they're like everything's included, and then I'm I have to ask questions like. So which of these things should go in the grade book? And they're like, whatever you want. Okay, so we have work to do. Um, so I started the year kind of 
we got thrown this book and I'm like, okay, so I guess all of this goes in the grade book, which is formative, which is summative. Sat down with one of my coworkers. We made a decision. Great. I'm going to grade all the worksheets as homework grades. The tests and quizzes are summative, except there were no quizzes. I had to write them. Um, and did the whole first semester like that. About December and our semester ends in January. I was like, I hate this. The students hate it. I hate grading worksheets every week especially when I just taught something and then they do a worksheet on it. Mm -hmm. If they didn't get it, that means I didn't do something right that day or that we need to revisit it. I don't want to mark them down because I need to do my job as a teacher. So second semester, I completely changed the class, but then trying to explain to my coworkers what I was doing, it was so hard for the teachers to understand and the students. I said everything on paper, I told my students, everything on paper is for you to practice. We'll go over the answers together. Is it going to the grade book? No. Then why am I doing it? To practice. It's exactly to practice. I said everything on the computer is going in the grade book. But as an ESL class, we have five goals. um, Reading, listening, speaking, writing, and then grammar and vocabulary. So five goals. You have one assignment per goal. So five assignments. You'll get them within the first two weeks of the unit. And then you can do them as many times as you want. And every Friday, whatever's been turned in, I go through, I regrade it, I comment on it. We have time in class and you redo those over and over again until the end of the unit. And whatever you have at the end of the unit on those five things, that's your grade. Because like you said, I want to see when I give you a writing prompt, you're not going to do it perfect the first time. If you do, you're in the wrong ESL class. (laughs) But I want to see that, you know, when we sit down and we talk about Verb tenses, you can be like, oh, okay, let me fix this and we'll get back to it. When we talk about introductions and conclusions that you can apply it, I don't need you to memorize everything that makes a good paragraph. That's why you're in my class, so I can teach you it. But you need the feedback and to work from it. My students were so baffled (laughs) that I'm like, okay, open this thing. They're like, we did it last week. Did you get 100? No. Then you still have work to do on it. But we did it last week. And you still have to learn it. That's what that grade says. You got a 32%. You have seven, you know, 68% of it still to learn. Um, and then I also let them take the writing prompt. They would have to add something. And then that would actually be a test grade. So when we got, you know, I was like, Thursday and Friday, we're doing a writing summative, a writing test. Ugh. And when we got there Thursday, they all got a document with what they already wrote. If I got 100 on what I already wrote, am I done? Pretty much. You've already done the work. I want to give you points for it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. That's your growth. Yeah. and But yeah. for my students, it's so defeating when it's something new every day and they're not doing well on it every day. And then the test feels new because they haven't really solidified any of the concepts. For them to come to my class and be like, it's just the same shit we've done for four weeks. Yeah. So you should be really good at it. We have. <laughs> we have I have a pipe cleaner person my students do and they make them their bodies on pipe cleaners and every time they have a class and we learn something new or at the end of class they grow in dendrites mm-hmm. so they get to put them <laughs> and, and i have some wild That's i awesome. mean for students that been i mean right. their, their dendrites are now connecting I said, <laughs> look at how strong it is because yeah. it's like a root system you yeah. know it it it's growing and getting stronger yeah. and and that's their visual that that's what's going on in your brain, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and because of the practice and because of this, you know, 
of, of this repetitive work, you know, it's getting thicker. It's not because it's I'm making you do it again. It's because I want that brain to grow. I yeah. want you to understand from going from a fixed mindset of I can't and defeated and because you measure yourself against somebody else that my goal is to get you to think beyond that. First of all, your measurement is not next to Susie Q, you know what right. I mean? Your measurement is you. You're created totally different with different skill sets and the whole business. And we're going to focus on you. Right. You know, not your friend next to you. Not, And it's not about getting the work done because if you, it, it's getting the work done, but to get the work done and not learn anything. Yeah. Well, in my students, so when we started doing this and I realized they would need days in, during the school day to work on these things. So I started putting together, you know, once a week, then I would be like, all right, Leanne, this is the three, you know, the three things I need you to revisit. And the kids, and then when they came in, I had my, I like to be super organized and I don't want my students to tell me they didn't know. So when they came in, they got a colored piece of paper that matched the color of a table. So they knew where to go right away. And I don't need them sitting by their friends. They won't get anything done. So you went, you know, if you're working on reading, you got a yellow piece of paper and the reading tables are yellow and you know right where to go. And kids would sit down, scribble through and be like, all right, I'm done. Okay, well, look at the piece of paper I gave you when you came in. What is written under reading? Grammar. So there's another thing. And they're like, what? Like, it's not just getting it done. You can get the checklist done. That's fine. But you were supposed to be making effort on these. Mm-hmm. And if you get through the whole list, I'm going to go back and read your reading one and probably make you do it again because you did it in five minutes. <laughs> That's right. Um, and it's, yeah, but it takes some adjustment for the students. And like I said, for me, and I'm trying to explain to my coworkers that like this is how our class is running this semester. And then I left for maternity leave and was trying to explain to the sub, it's not how, especially at a high school level, how classes are run. And that's one of the things I see my students struggling with. When, you know, the question of why are students missing these skills? And it starts in elementary. Our school curriculums are not made for students to actually learn, I don't think. Mm-hmm. They are way, way too fast-paced. And, and I taught third grade, you know, as low as kindergarten, but I really taught, you know, I taught third grade math. There was no review day built in to the scope and sequence. There were very few review activities. There were no days for, you know, if students needed intervention or mediation, like your program talks about, when is that supposed to happen? You have to pull them out of reading? Well, now the kid's missing reading instruction. <laughs> or, you know, there's not... As much as schools say we want to help students learn, there's not space to actually sit down and and mediate with students to say, okay, for me at a high school level, um, and thankfully my coworkers in the math department have been great, but I, you know, to sit down and say, I'm teaching this student in Spanish. Mind you, I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, so that's already spotty (laughs) and using Google Translate. And the kid doesn't know his multiplication facts in English or in Spanish. And then when I tell him in Spanish to type on his calculator three times two, he keeps pressing plus. So I keep having to remind him that he pressed the wrong button. So we're not going to get through 20 problems in 20 minutes. There's no way. And he can't get marked down for that. We just need more. And I, on this podcast, all the time, we just need more time. It's hard because, you know, you had so much going on. But I, I, um, sometimes I just think we... I don't know. I just, 
There's so many benchmarks that the teachers are expected to make in such a thing. And I mean, I, I subbed and I went out to one school and I subbed and I'm telling you, I could have wallpapered my house from top to bottom out of all the objectives in this lesson plan. And I'm just going, holy cow, as a sub, I'm looking and going, oh my gosh, they got to do this. They got to make sure that's meeting this benchmark and this and this. I'm going, whoa, you know, <laughs> I'm going, I couldn't even function on a day to be able to follow that lesson plan. So I just went, all right, we're going to do, we're going to show me your math paper and I'm going back to the old way. You know what I yeah. just saying? Where are you having trouble doing this? Where are you having trouble doing that? And I just, I just went back to the old school type of thing mm -hmm. and said, let's, let's do it. Yeah. You know, it may not be exactly as your teacher's doing, but you're going to learn something new. Right. You're going to learn a different way that somebody a different language that yeah. and accomplish the same thing, you know. Yeah. I just, um, it's it's hard, but it's like we got to, you know, these oh, the kids. First, you got to deal with so much that they come into, you know, what they're coming into, mm -hmm. and you got a short and sweet time, mm -hmm. and it's like okay, um, math intervention. Do they have math labs anymore? Do they have you know all this kind right. of stuff? You know, it's so important that English and the math and the history and sciences repeat themselves, but it's math and English that are so, and if a child can't read, mm -hmm. it goes, it, it, it just branches across everything. They have to be able to read and yeah. comprehend, you know, from a simple math problem to reading numbers is, is decoding, yeah. you know, you're decoding signs and symbols, you're decoding Oh, it's amazing what you're, you know, how reading is so, mm -hmm. so vital. You know, and you're talking about reading to your young, it is so beneficial mm -hmm. because she's seeing things from your world and your culture that she's now going to be able to relate to. It's almost like, even though she's younger, when they get light, lighter, you know, in life and they touch a hot stove, you know, that feel mm -hmm. is going to tell them. And signal that it isn't right besides you reinforcing right. hot, hot. So they're going to get the association. Yeah. But now you're building in a vocabulary to this child. Yeah. You know, and plus a closeness, you know, yeah. a, a relationship to know that, hey, this lady's teaching me reading. And so therefore, she's somebody I can trust. Mm -hmm. You know, it's time. It's putting your own things aside and time. Yeah. Shut the TV set Time. <laughs> Yeah. There's nothing good on TV anyhow. I'm, I'm just amazed the way parents are giving their kids iPads and mm -hmm. things like that during potty training. What a what a wonderful time during potty <laughs> training to read a book. Right. You know, and, and, oh, and to our give students, them an iPad. It's a, I mean, that is I was, during it, that developmental stage. Holy cow. I was eight months pregnant and had to do ACT testing. And they put me in a room by myself. With a bunch of high schoolers. And I said, first of all, I have to pee every 20 minutes. So this was a mistake. Second of all, there's no... ACT is on the computer now. But there's no other devices. I'm not allowed to have a computer or a phone. And the kids definitely... Like, their stuff has to be in their backpack in the hallway. It's super locked down. I literally had a student. I had to call admin and be like, you have to get him out of here. He's like a caged animal. He was like, I just need to check my phone for like two seconds. And I was like, you literally cannot... And he was like, but I finished the test. And I was like, I don't, it doesn't matter. But he couldn't, he couldn't survive for five hours without his phone. And he was like, what happens if I walk out right now? I was like, I have to call my boss. And he was like, then call her. Because he was like, 
shaking. And I was like, dude. But yeah, that they just, that's bonkers. But then as far as the time in class, I mean, my, what I say at the high school is the department has to be on the same page. And they say it's for test security. Then just give every class a little bit different test. Anyway, they say it's for test security. They all have to give the test on the same day. For the classes that I co-teach, that's so unfair. My students just sometimes are not ready. We need a day or two to do vocabulary review and say, okay, let's just talk about the vocabulary that's going to be on the test. Classes without ESL students probably don't need that. Right. That's that's like putting a track race and running a 440 and they're all starting on that track at the same time. That's an impossible. One's having to run longer. And what's fair is what's fair for the child. Yeah. You know? And that's a fight that we, I mean, that, like the pacing and then, you know, the test has to be done in one class period. Not happening. Mm-hmm. My students yeah. are having to interpret the English or translate it to Spanish and then interpret it in Spanish. Because like you said, the language of math in English or Spanish is just different. And so to have to comprehend what you're supposed to be doing and then actually do the work. And then for some of my students, they're doing the work in Spanish. And then, you know, how do I check my answer? Or how do I, you know, I'm supposed to use my notes, which part of the notes, because we didn't have time to go through and teach it. So I have students who take two or three class periods to get a test done. And again, I understand, you know, for test security, we want all the kids to be done right away. So they're not sharing answers. And I'm like, but they can't, they can't be. Um, and so that makes it, that's one of the, the challenges we have with our students is just the timing piece of. I had a, I, I, I do with my students, my teachers kind of looked at me when they came in for studying. I said, okay, everybody, I want you to dump your brain because they're so trying to hold everything out. Yeah. They're stressed about the test. Their grades, everything, all these factors. Did I just all of a sudden have an argument with my mom before I came? That it's all going to affect. I said, you got five minutes on your test paper. You're going to dump your brain. So you're going to dump your brain for dates you remember. You can yep. draw names you can remember. Anything significant that you want to get out of your mind to clear so that when you're reading through the test, because you have to read so carefully. I don't care if it's multiple choice or not. Mm-hmm. You still have to watch for that little bit of one word change, you mm-hmm. know. Then they have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's here. So it doesn't make any difference. It's going to the paper. Right. Because they can't. I'm, they're not comparing notes. There's absolutely no talking. You're writing down what you studied. Yeah. And what you remembered. And then it frees up that space yeah. in their brain where they can breathe and they can think. And I have a copy of what they wrote down, so it doesn't matter, right. you know. And I can see from what they wrote down, what they studied, yeah. what they what they understood, yeah, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, our students too. I always have notes for them for finals, which some teachers are like they're not allowed notes, and I'm like, they are allowed notes. It's an ESL accommodation, for that reason. They're trying to keep so much in their brain at once. Giving them one formula is not gonna make or break if they studied they they have to know how to use the formula that's right why do they have to memorize it too oh my gosh and i i didn't do second semester finals i was on maternity leave but i told myself for my class the students struggled most with grammar because grammar rules in english are complex and we did a ton of verbs this year so when i say you know past tense versus present tense versus present continuous and the kids are like what and i was like so i told the sub i was like 
please let them write down notes for the grammar section and use it. Because, oh my gosh, if you ask me to write a sentence in present continuous, I'll be like, I think I know what to do. <laughs> I just write. I would write. To be we able don't to name it. Because no. We've, we've been trained in doing it. And now when I'm trained in doing it. Writing, but the way the test is written is use these words in present continuous. And I was like, please let them use note. Give them notes. You can make the note sheet. Make them. I don't care. But, oh my gosh, I do not want them to memorize what present continuous is. I want them to use it correctly. Yeah. Like you said, in context, preferably, but. Those are about the writing skills together. If you're not going to dissect when you write an essay, you're not dissecting. You just want it to sound. Right, exactly. You know, intelligent. And my students, when we do grammar, sometimes I'll say like, I'm going to teach you the rule, but you'll know because it'll sound weird. Uh (laughs) You know, when we talk about plural and singular verbs, you'll know. I had my students when when we were doing English lessons. I do have give them a topic and they'd have to write. Let's say for two weeks we do a, a writing journal they mm-hmm. they had and at the end of that two weeks, then they had to pick one of the essays that they wrote, mm-hmm. and they and then from that point, we went on fixing it up. Yeah. So it was something that they enjoyed. You know, it was a free write, so they know how to dump their brain and just write. I just want you to write. I don't yeah. care what it sounds like. And then we go back. As like a refresher, the formality. Now we're going to get into the formality to make it sound like a narrative Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, you know. And I found it easier because a lot of kids have trouble getting from paper to from head to paper. I know that was my issue. I did get. I would just write and write, write, and I wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't want to miss anything. Yeah. But there was a lot of things. Like one of my friends said to me, he says, "You write like you talk," and I'm going, "Yeah, you have to shorten it up." I'm going. But I don't know what yeah. is safe to eliminate and the whole understanding. So that writing concept, that's yeah. an art. Well, and I try, I, every year I have to teach punctuation because my students write like they talk. Nobody talks and says periods as they talk. So there are no periods in some of my students' writing. And to tell, you know, okay, this is what makes a complete sense. How do we, you know, and then, and I had to call the reading interventionist for some help because I was like, it's not getting through to them. And I don't know how to get it. Know. But... Yeah, and then just talk about formality. If you were talking to your boss, let me read it back to you. Would you say this to your boss? Hey, bro. And they're like, well, no. I'm like, okay, so we got to fix something. Um, but yeah, those skills are hard. Before we wrap up, so um, the the ending question is always, um, what are the next steps? But it's always two pieces. What do you imagine education as a whole needs to rethink Um, And then the second question, so you can think about it, is what do you encourage current teachers to do? Well, first of all, I think everybody should (laughs) take the classes that I would do. (laughs) It's amazing what you learn. Okay, there are this, what I've done with what I've learned through Dr. They are now taking corporate Mm -hmm. because the breakdown in communication and working together as a team, people are in their cubes. So they take these to reset the brain is what they're doing. It's even doing um, my instructor, um, one of my instructors, she is phenomenal. And she has, she works with, they call it Redemption House, which is the women come out of prison mm-hmm. and they're in their rehab. And she works with them to help them get a different cognitive way of thinking so that they can stop being repeaters. They are also taking this into the prisons Mm -hmm. already 
you know, and, and getting the mindset to change. So it's all about resetting the brain and getting to the root. And so my encouragement is teachers learn how to mediate. Mm-hmm. Mediation is not more than just telling. It's getting them to stop, listen to you, and answer back. To stop and think. So it's a reciprocation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that requires, like you said, it requires the teacher to listen to. It's time. It, and, I mean, it just takes time. And yeah. you have a child that doesn't have a very fast processing speed. It even takes more, mm-hmm. you know. But in the end, when that child learns that somebody is listening to them, their communication skills, but they will become more confident. And we want confident learners. Yeah. And for me, I've had to find so many different ways to allow students to communicate with me, especially as an ESL teacher, but for anybody, you know, to say, okay, you know, how are you guys doing today? Isn't the kids are all like, fine, just carry on. If I ask them to write about it, some students will write a whole page about stuff going on. Some kids will just write, I'm fine. Um, We did at the elementary level, and then I teach it at the high school too, the zones of regulation, um, which is, you know, feelings and they're all color coded in four different colors. So I taught the high schoolers this system that I learned from the elementary because then I can say, what what zone do you think you're in today? Most of the time my kids are like, I'm in the blue zone, which is depressed or sad or tired. Oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. And they know I'm listening even if I don't ask questions or I can ask later. Are you still feeling a little blue or, you know, do you feel better after lunch? Um, but... At the high school level, I find some high school teachers say, you know, well, if the kids wanted me to know something, they'd tell me. But they don't know how to all the time. Right. Or if it's just the teacher standing up there and lecturing, when do they have the opportunity? When when are you giving them a chance to actually... And when you talk about mediation, one of the things that was cool for me when I switched my classroom over, kids got a work day every week and I assigned them to where to work. But then I could sit down with just that group of kids and say, okay... Let me show you how to use the grammar notes to do the grammar section. What is the, you know, what's the subject? I. So we're going to find that section here and show them how a verb chart works. Um, but for the kids, for me to actually, you know, hear the kids like, oh, you don't even know what the subject of the sentence is. No wonder this is so hard. But if I don't take the time to listen and work with them, I would have never figured that out. I mean, it was literally February when I was like, my kids can't identify a subject. Flip yourself. You get immersed into their culture. You're yeah. going to be a hot mess because it's like, what do I do? I'm in this strange country. Right. How do I communicate? What what do I say for the simple things? I need a restaurant. I need my motel. Yeah. I need to, to be able to know where my next plane takes off. You know, I just, you got to put yourself in their shoes. And even for students who are not ESL, you know, school is such a weird environment, unlike anywhere else. If they are working, you know, they have to talk to customers. It's fast paced. They're always, you know, noticing things and doing things. And then they get to school and they have to just sit there for eight hours. But when do they do that? At home, they're interacting and they're doing things and they're help, you know, jump in. And they come home, they come to school and they sit. Like, that's, their, that's, their, that's their down kind. It's like, oh, okay. Right. This is not, nobody's on my case <laughs> right. doing anything. So I'm just going to veg. And... and they don't know how to, you know, listen to a lecture. Because where else in your life do you listen to lectures other than at school? And if you weren't taught how to do that, you know, my students, I always tell them, I'm like, 
write stuff down. What do I write down? I write down everything because I'm a horrible listener if I'm not writing or doodling. I'm like, so I write down everything. I don't know if it's important or not. I just know it makes me listen better. But they don't know that. Nobody's told them that. I think every teacher, <laughs> I'm an auditory learner and I feel every teacher should, well, not every, but I feel their classes, their lectures should be taped mm-hmm. because then those kids that can't and open a grade for me, I would listen over mm-hmm. and over. And that's what I did with my online learning. I could listen, I could stop it, replay it. Stop it and replay it. Stop it and replay it. Because the minute I start taking notes, he's yeah. already yeah thousand words down. And I'm I and I'm so focused on what I'm writing. In high school, literally, I had to write it down because then when I was taking the test, I could picture where it was written on the page. So if I didn't write stuff down or didn't have the opportunity to, I would. There's no way I would have remembered. But so for classes that didn't have study guides, they'd be like, "We'll just review everything." And I was like. Everything. That's a lot to like. A lot of reading, you know, to picture. Yeah. yeah. For me, I picture it all in my head. Like, and I don't have a photographic memory, so that's a lot. I think. Um, Two for for next steps as far as like education system wide. If we, if you ask people in education, do you believe in a growth mindset? They're like, yeah, of course. But I think the key that's missing in education is that. If we believe in a growth mindset, when growth is paused, that's where it should resume. And there's so many different different definitions for that because the school that I'm working in, and that's what I taught this summer, they understand growth mindset is something totally different yeah. than understanding how the brain yeah. functions, how, how um, trauma and sickness and disease and even happy. You can't learn under stress. Your brain goes literally shut down under stress. So mm-hmm. when you're in a stressful situation, bam, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not, you're, you're watching like somebody, yeah. you're watching your mouth like blah, 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 blah. And you're not, it's not filtering. Yeah. It's not because you're not, because you're in that freeze mode. Yeah. Okay. Something's happening to me and I can't, you know, I'm stressed. So I'll tell the kids to breathe, you know, and and try to breathe and breathing exercises, you know, it's, it sounds, oh my gosh, how am I going to fit this into my eight hour day? But let me tell you, you start with like, I was teaching my class when I went into differentiated instruction and um, I told my, and they were right changing the curriculum. I said, you take, it takes five years to switch your class over to a diversified or a differentiated instruction classroom, but you take one subject and you just work on that all year, just one subject. And you try to differentiate that and you keep your notes. And then the next year you do, not a semester, because this isn't a fast-paced thing. You, you have to study it. How can I differentiate it to mm-hmm. make my students understand it better? Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, part of, process. and part of what's hard about, for me, I have never been in a school more than three years. So when you say it takes five years to differentiate something, I've not even been at a school for that long. And, you know, I taught Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 and Geometry the last years. They have a new curriculum this year. So any differentiation, materials, stuff I did might, I mean, I can reuse it because it's still Algebra 1, but... You look at it. You look at, you know, now know your presentation. Yeah. That's the differentiation. Yeah. It's, it's learning the presentation. Like... Um, what is it? Yeah. But like you said, but that's 
it takes a lot of time and work, especially for me. I'm not a math person. I don't have a math degree. I have to remind my co-teachers all, all the time. I'm like, I, you're literally teaching me algebra too. And then I have to go teach it. Um, so to, I don't know how to differentiate this stuff because I don't even know the content sometimes. I don't know algebra two formulas often, you know, and they're like, oh, this is why and I'm like, no idea. Um, but also like for math, it's math is a subject that's like two plus two is four. Why? Why is two plus two four? Well, it just is. And I was like, that's not going to work for my students. How do I differentiate that two plus two equals four? And so thankfully, right, as I finished at the elementary level, they were getting a new curriculum that broke down some of those thinking processes. And I was able to bring that to the high school. But then at the high school, we look so out of place. My kids and I have um, stuff. We have like elementary materials. We have manipulatives to do algebra one. And the teacher was like, how are you going to use those? And I was like, you'll see. We have we had highlighted notes and highlighters and they highlight all the variables and, you know, we like sort it. And so it looks the same as everybody else's, but it's so colored and highlighted. And, and I'm like. Anyway, I tell my students, now go show the teacher, explain to the teacher, you know, and it was so funny. The one kid was like, I don't speak English. I was like, then tell her in Spanish. I'm like, she can learn Spanish. So he went up and he told her in Spanish and showed her what we did and why. And, um, but, and she was like, I never thought to do it that way. Cause even the math teachers aren't taught how to differentiate. They're taught that two plus two is four. Everybody should go to the class in Las Vegas. Every summer they offer it. It's a big, big seminar. It's where I- yeah. And it's just class about teaching about differentiated instruction. It's, yeah. I think it's still in, in, um, in Las Vegas, but it was awesome. it was eye-opener. It's all these tools that Dr. Farstein, he developed. I yeah. mean, he developed all these things because he studied the mind. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. He died at, what, 94 in 2014, but amazing. Yeah, I think... I think system-wide education is so, this is a first grade skill, this is a second grade skill, this is a third grade skill. And if students miss a skill, they're not given the opportunity to work backwards. And so once you're a year or two off, they get, like you said, they get defeated. They don't wanna do it anymore. By middle school, they're like, I'm bad at math, so why would try? And so the, sis, the program that you're part of, and, and just in general for teachers to one, you have to identify where those gaps are, which that is a task in and of itself. I spent the entire year trying to get data on a student and they were like, why? And I was like, cause clearly he's struggling with what? I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> Can I please have a, you know, assessment, like something to look at what he's struggling with and finally was able to get something. But, and then the time and energy and, you know, to work backwards and say, okay, this is where we were struggling. This is where we need to mediate. This is when in the day it's going to you know, happen. For that kid, it was during my prep, which is not ideal for me, but what had to happen for him to do well in math. Um, or, you know, my classroom had to look completely different than other ESL rooms. Um, work centers, big work centers, you know what I mean? With the yeah. Lead. You know, we had, there was one, in one of the work centers in the classes that when we had a work center, I... You didn't let always the brainiacs around the class. Yeah. Because you have to learn to listen. Yeah. So I'd have a, a, a less experienced person in that group would have to and help them prepare. And then the other ones would have to listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's that reciprocation of relationships. And, and they call it, um, you know, considering another point of view. Yeah. You know, and just learning how to listen. Yeah. 
you know? And it's not right or wrong. It's yeah. listening. Big listening. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. The podcast is on all platforms. Um, we are at Instagram at reimagine.teaching for the rest of the conversation. Um, Dr. Reuven Feuerstein. Dr. Reuven Feuerstein. R-E-U-V-I-N-F-E-U-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. Go awesome. to his site. You will be amazed. Awesome. Thanks so much.